old pilot's plain tales. Hunting the fox bat. It's the height of the Cold War. America and the Soviet Union are in an arms race, but up until now, Western military technology has held the upper hand and nowhere more than in the skunk works. Lockheed Martin's advanced development programs had recruited some brilliant engineers such as Kelly Johnson and Ben Rich, who, as an aside, was once awarded a patent for a nichrome heating system that stopped the penises of Navy patrol plane crews from freezing to their metal P-tubes. No, seriously, these guys were probably the best advanced aircraft design engineers in the world. These men were responsible for many amazing aircraft designs, but one in particular was causing a political nightmare. It was the U-2. This spy plane was built with the intention of flying over the Soviet Union to photograph sites of interest, and for four years it flew untouched over secret and previously hidden sites. The Soviet Politburo and military were furious and determined to prevent such incursions and eventually they produced a missile system capable of bringing down these intruders. It was Francis Gary Powers who was the pilot of Mission Grand Slam and he had been tasked to fly over Russia from Peshawar in Turkey to Bodo in Norway. On the way, he was to photograph ICBM sites at two cosmodromes and a plutonium processing centre. The flight, however, was expected, and as soon as it was detected, the Soviet air defence forces were put on red alert. Fighters were launched, with orders to ram the spy plane if necessary, but the extreme altitude prevented interception. However, eventually powers came within the range of an S-75 Vina, known to the West as an SA-2 guideline surface-to-air missile site. The S-75 was an enormous missile, some 35 feet long, with a two-stage rocket motor and carrying a 430-pound fragmentation warhead with a kill radius of around 800 feet. The missed distance was around 250 feet, worse at very high altitude, so they were usually fired in salvos of two or three. It was perhaps surprising that Power's route came so close to this site, as it had previously been identified by the CIA using photographs taken during President Nixon's visit to Sverdlovsk the previous summer. As the missiles came off their launchers, their solid fuel boosters roared for nearly five seconds before the liquid fuel motors took over, accelerating the rockets to Mach 3. The Fansong guidance radar aimed the missiles at the U-2, but on the way, one of them locked onto a pursuing MiG-19, completely destroying it and killing the pilot, Sergei Savranov. Apparently the latest IFF transponder codes had got to his unit because of the May Day holiday. In the upper reaches of the atmosphere, Powers could do little to evade the missiles and was lucky to survive the huge warhead as it exploded, critically damaging his aircraft. He survived his parachute descent and capture despite being given a silver dollar equipped with a lethal toxic tip needle and enough of his aircraft was found to severely embarrass the Americans, but that is another story. 
Back in the Skunk Works, it was understood that the U-2 would have a limited operational lifespan, so work had already started on its replacement. An aircraft capable of Mach 3 at even greater altitudes. It was to be named the SR-71 Blackbird. The capability of this incredible machine was almost unimaginable at the time, and it was thought to be absolutely untouchable. By the time a SAM site managed to track the aircraft, it would already be too late to launch, and should the pilot ever be concerned, he just had to accelerate to power away from any existing missile system or aircraft, or that was what they hoped. Then came the first blurred and grainy images of a new Soviet fighter. The West had been suspicious for a while. Spy satellites had photographed images of a large new fighter aircraft being tested, and Israel had picked up unusual radar returns of an aircraft that accelerated to an incredible speed. When the Israelis ambushed one of these intruders, firing missiles head-on at it from 30,000 feet, it accelerated to over Mach 3 and climbed above 60,000 feet. Nobody had seen anything like it. This was the new kid on the block, and before long it would be taking records. At the time, however, the lights burned late into the night at CIA headquarters. Were they going to suffer another Gary Powers nightmare? They desperately needed more information about this gleaming silver fighter, the MiG-25 Foxbat. Then, in a twist of fate, that was closer to the plot of a badly written fiction novel than real life, their prayers were answered. Lieutenant Victor Belenko was an unhappy man. He hadn't always felt that way. When he was young, he was full of praise for the socialist and communist ideas that offered full employment, free education, medical care, childcare, a good retirement, and so on. As he grew and understood more, however, he realised that these ideas only served a small number and the rest of the people were basically slaves. His home life wasn't helping. He lived in a poorly built apartment that only passed its inspections through massive bribery. Ludmilla, his wife, was from a well-off big city family and very unhappy, threatening divorce. Victor had started work in a factory and was taking flight training classes at night, hoping to get into the Soviet Air Force. He was initially resentful of his first flight instructor, as he didn't like being taught by a woman. However, when she scared him half to death during aerobatics, he'd learned to accept her authority. He really enjoyed flying, and was frustrated by having to spend so much time in political indoctrination classes and helping out on nearby farms with the harvest. He achieved his aim and joined the Air Force, but he was quickly made an instructor himself, training new pilots on the MiG-17. He hated the system that pressured him into graduating pilots that he didn't think were ready, for having to fabricate flight logs when they couldn't fly for bad weather, and then dumping the fuel that they should have used flying onto the ground. After four years of pushing for a transfer, he was eventually granted a reassignment to a MiG-25 unit at Chugayevka. His new unit was in the remote eastern side of the USSR, and conditions there were awful. 
Denied access to beer or wine, the main available intoxicant was the pure alcohol used as a coolant by the aircraft. A fully loaded fox bat needed half a tonne of the stuff, so there was always enough available to drink. All forms of entertainment were effectively prohibited to enlisted men, leaving them little to do but consume MiG-25 coolant. Belenko had spoken up at political meetings, suggesting that improvements would increase morale and discipline, but he was accused of being selfish and a bad communist. Ludmilla was again threatening divorce and wanted to take their three-year-old back to her family. This was the last straw, and Victor felt at his wit's end. He had tried to change the system and failed. Now he would try and escape it. He planned to buy his way into the West by stealing Russia's most advanced interceptor and defecting with it. His act of betrayal was surprisingly easy. He waited until the weather between his base and the northern Japanese island of Hokkaido was clear, and a day when he would be scheduled to fly with a full fuel load. It took more than a month, but he held his nerve until the day came. Indeed, during that time, he was such a model officer that his superiors said they were going to promote him. He tried to stay calm and took off as if nothing was out of the ordinary. Reporting engine problems to the other aircraft in his group, he turned back and, when he felt safe, dived down to treetop level to hide from the Soviet radars. He turned off his own radio, radar and transponder and headed for the ocean at high speed. He had to fly several hundred miles and, being designed to operate at high level, the Foxbat was far from economical when hugging the ground. Heading out over the Sea of Japan, he set course for the Japanese military base at Shitozi. Back in Primore, the Russian region Victor had flown from, an AN-26 was landing with Marshal Savitsky, the commander of air defence forces in the east, on board with a group of senior officers. He had heard about problems in the area and had decided to visit in person. The aircraft's props wound down to a stop, but where was the greeting party? They waited, but still they were not met a distinct breach of military protocol. Then they saw a general running across the taxiway towards them. Generals did not run. The corps commander summoned his trembling voice and made his report. Comrade Marshal, a plane disappeared in Sokolovka, a MiG-25. All present first thought there had been an accident, and most likely the pilot had ejected. What measures? the marshal asked. Helicopters are looking for the crash site, but nothing has been found yet, came the reply. It was then that the 11th Army radar site reported a contact 70 kilometres east heading for Hokkaido, too fast for the Japanese Orion Maritime Patrol aircraft that it was first thought to be. Suspicion began to dawn on the Soviet officers, and after an hour or so, and with still no reports of a crash, their faces hardened. Then came the news they dreaded. A French press agency was reporting a MiG aircraft had just landed at Hakodate Airport, skidding off the runway and onto the grass. All hell broke loose. Lieutenant Viktor Belenko stood up in the cockpit of his aircraft and fired his pistol into the air as a warning. 
He was safely down, but it had been a close-run thing. He had almost run out of fuel trying to find Chateauzy Air Base and was practically flying on fumes when, dodging bad weather, he spotted a runway. He nearly collided with a civilian airliner that was taking off, but eventually he got his brand-new fighter down onto the concrete. Unable to stop on the unexpectedly short runway, he had trundled off the end by several hundred feet, and with his adrenaline running high, he was now facing down a number of civilians who were coming close to his aircraft. Unable to speak Japanese or English, he tried to keep the upper hand by using his firearm. Eventually, the Japanese officials approached waving a white flag. Victor handed over a note that he had previously prepared, written in English. It read, Quickly call Representative American Intelligence Service. Aeroplane camouflage. Nobody not allowed to approach. On translation into Japanese, this somehow gave the impression that the aircraft was booby-trapped, which wasn't a bad thing as it happened, since there were controls in the cockpit that could destroy the avionics. The standoff didn't last long, and when US representatives arrived, Balenko asked for political asylum. His aircraft was moved to a hangar, and despite the arrival of a delegation from Aeroflot, presumably representing the Russian authorities, they were kept well away. In order to justify keeping the plane and pilot, the Japanese formally accused Balenko of illegal border crossing. This windfall for the United States proved to be of great value, but first they needed to take a close look at it. The MiG-25 was transported in a C-5 Galaxy to a military base in Hakuyu, near Tokyo. Experts from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base were flown over to examine the aircraft and with Japanese engineers they poured over the machine. Everything was powered up and run, even the engines, so that its systems could be tested and their concerns about the capabilities of this fighter were ultimately eased. They discovered the technology behind the Foxbat was not up to US capabilities. Despite the temperatures associated with very high-speed flight, the aircraft was mainly built of stainless steel, with only 9% being titanium. Whilst being much easier to weld than titanium, nickel-steel alloy limited the aircraft's speed to Mach 2.5. It was capable of a maximum speed of Mach 3.2, as was seen by the Israelis, but this would damage the engines beyond repair. It was also a relatively crude aircraft, with hand-welding and protruding rivets. The avionics used valve technology, and the radar, although powerful, was pulse-only, lacking a look-down, shoot-down capability. It was described as an expensive and cumbersome aircraft that wouldn't be particularly effective in combat. After much political wrangling, the aircraft was returned to the Soviet Union in 30 crates, and with them was a bill for $40,000 for packing, transport and damage done to the airfield on landing. The Soviets, in reply, tried to charge Japan $10 million, but neither bill is thought to have been paid. Lieutenant Viktor Belenko was granted political asylum and resettled in the USA with a trust fund that would keep him comfortable. He was debriefed for some five months and finally gained American citizenship. His first visit to a supermarket was a revelation to him. He thought it had been specially filled to impress him and that ordinary people were being kept away. 
He went back every day to buy something new, even trying cat food by mistake and cooking it up with garlic and onions. He declared it better than anything he had ever eaten in the Soviet Union. Back in Russia, the story was that Belenko had been killed in a car accident. Despite still having a wife in the USSR, Victor married a music teacher from North Dakota and fathered two sons. He co-wrote a biography, MIG Pilot, The Final Escape of Lieutenant Belenko. <laughs> 